If you have your Bibles with you today, uh, we want to look at two different passages. And uh, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and then also Galatians 6.10. And we will start with Galatians 6.10. So you may want to start to your right and then we'll work back left. Uh, so Galatians 6.10. Uh, we're in a series entitled Everyday Grace, and uh, we have been singing about it uh, through, uh, through the first part of this worship service. There was an event that took place 2,000 years ago that um, gave the explanation as to what grace is, and that is that uh, our Creator, God, seeing our plight, and that is that we are sinners who are separated from a holy God, knowing that since creation... And since that first sin took place in the Garden of Eden, all of us are, are born with this um, uh, 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 desire to sin and, and to go our own way and to go against the way in which God has set up for us. And because of that sin nature, we all sin, we all mess up, we make those mistakes. And the Bible says there's a seriousness to that because it separates us from a holy and perfect God. And so throughout the Old Testament, there were sacrifices along the way to cover a payment for sin. But then 2,000 years ago, what God did was he sent the ultimate sacrifice. And he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to live on this earth for approximately 33 years to live a perfect life, sinless life. And then he went to a cross and he died for our sins. Because the Bible says that the only payment for sin is death. And so Jesus became this perfect sacrifice, never sinned perfect man. But the people rejected him, put him on a cross, nailed him on a cross, and for six hours suspended between heaven and earth. And then when he died, they took his body down and they placed it in a tomb, thinking that was the end. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. And when he did that, that act itself showed that God had conquered sin and conquered death. His son, Jesus Christ, had been the payment, and God had accepted that payment. And when he accepted that payment, he then said, this payment has been made for sin and anyone who accepts this payment will come and be a part of God's family. And so it's a grace gift. It's a gift that's available for every one of us. And he's never going to force it on us. It's our choice. You choose to accept or reject. And so this is the way history has been for the last 2,000 years. And there is the grace gift that God has given us, if we will accept it. And when I was an eight-year-old boy, I came to that same understanding of what I've just shared with you, and I made the decision to accept that grace gift, and I received Christ as my Savior. And from that moment, when His Holy Spirit came into my life, I have experienced everyday grace. And so every day I've experienced the grace that God has given me, but I also have a responsibility then, in turn, give everyday grace to others. And so we started a series a few weeks ago about how to do this within relationships. And we talked about husbands and wives and everyday grace. And then last week on Mother's Day, we talked about parents and children and that everyday grace. And so today we're going to look at a demographic, single adults, and, and talk about everyday grace. What is the everyday grace we as a church can give to single adults? And then what as a single adult in turn can they do with everyday grace? grace. Now, it's interesting. Uh, in 1976, 37.4% of the population were single adults, okay? So it's about a third or so. 2013, that census came back and says that single adults make up 50.2%. 
So out of all of the adults, half of them are single adults. And there's another thing that we need to understand. Every one of us was a single adult at one time, okay? Every one of us was a single adult. Now, there'll be some of you that will come and say, I was a 12-year-old, and they matched me up, and I got married at 12. I don't think that's going to happen, but everyone, I believe here, has been a single adult. And so what we want to do is talk about this particular demographic in this church for those who are single adults. Now, if a person is a single adult, they are a single adult, and I could put them in two classifications. One is you are a single adult by circumstances. That means that maybe you were married at a time and a divorce took place and you find yourself single. It could be that you were married and a spouse passed away and you find yourself single. It was single because of circumstances. But second of all, it's single by choice. You had an option, either going to be married or going to be single. At this time in your life, you're single. And because you're single, it's a choice that you've made. You said, hey, I'm not going to be getting married at this time or maybe never, but it's still a choice that you make. So when we think about everyday grace and we think about singles within the church, um, how, how how do we get our hands around this? And you just gotta know on the front end, I have such a great love for single adults because that was such an important part of my journey of when I graduated from college and leading into my call to ministry. And I'll talk about that later on in the message. So, um, so I'm thrilled to be able to embrace this and to talk about singles. So let me tell you, it's two main things that we're going to cover today. And the first thing is that we need to understand, the first point is this, is singles are a part of our Shades family. Singles are a part of our Shades family. It is amazing at times where, where people try to communicate that if you're a single adult, it's like you're second-class citizen or not quite in the family, and that's just completely wrong. You're a part of the family. And Galatians 6.10, to me, says it about as well as it can be said. In Galatians 6.10, he says this. He says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. To do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Guess what, folks? We are the household of faith. This is the church. And so if you are a single adult, if you're a married adult, you are a part of the household of faith. And so it is clear that it is everyone and that it doesn't mean that some people have more privilege than another. We're all equal. We're all part of this family of faith. Now, I understand that sometimes it's hard for singles to feel like that they fit in, but I just want to let you know as your pastor, you should not feel that. You should understand you're a part of this, of this church. You're a part of our family, and we're glad to, glad to have you here. And Whether it's single by circumstance or single by choice, We're glad to have you here and to be a part of this body of faith. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia, he says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone. Us, that means all of us, do good to everyone. So once you become a part of this church, you become a part of the household of faith. And we're all there ministering to each others, okay? That's a part of of who we are. So this morning, it's interesting that that sometimes, I know I've had conversations, and some people say, well, with single adults, and and especially people who've been married for a good while, they said, I've kind of forgot what it's like to be single 
So how can we extend grace to single adults? People who feel called, they're here, they're part of this church. What can we do? I'm going to give you a checklist. Are you ready? I'm going to give you some things right now you can write down on how we can extend grace to single adults. Are you ready? Number one is this. Don't ask him or her, so when are you getting married? Number one, don't ask him or her, so when are you getting married? This happens a bunch. Someone, you introduce someone, you say, hey, I'm so and so. Oh, good, good. Are you married? No, I'm, you know, I'm single. So, so when are you going to get married? Well, you know, I don't think as a single adult, I appreciate that as I don't think you would appreciate if a single adult came up to you and said, are you married? So yes, so when are you going to be single again? So when are you going to get over this married thing and come back to single? You say, well, I wouldn't like that. Well, they're not real crazy about that either. All right. Again, when you sit there and come up to somebody and say, so when are you going to get married? What you're inferring is, well, I know you're not in a good place right now. And then when you get married, that's when you arrive. That's not true at all. And that's where the second point comes in, and that is this. Don't make them justify their singleness. Don't make them justify their singleness. Don't keep asking, so why are you still single? Why aren't you married? Why are you still single? You see, nobody has to justify that. It's a choice that a person has made, and this is where they are, and they're living for the Lord, and just accept them. Just as you don't have to justify your marriage. So really, you're married? So what the heck are you doing in that? Why are you doing that? You see, we don't need to do that. And you extend grace, and you extend grace by just accepting people as they are, whether it be married or whether it be single. But let me tell you the third thing, and that is a part of those who are single is because of either divorce or there's been a death of a spouse. And so I think the third thing for us is that we need to meet the practical needs of single moms. We need to meet the practical needs of single moms. And there's some, some women here that are doing yeoman work because they've got one, two, maybe more children. And whether it's, it's divorce that took place or a premature death of a spouse, and they're trying to handle everything. I'm just going to challenge the people of our church, and especially our men, to step up. And, and when you see people in this situation, make a point to take the initiative and say, hey, I want to help out. Maybe we can come and we can cut your grass. Maybe we can help change the oil in your car and do some repairs there. Are there any help that you need just understanding finances? Do you need some help even in figuring out about your taxes? Can we work with you? Can we help you with this? Have you got some home repairs that I can get a couple of guys together and we can go out here and and we can fix these things because either you don't have time to do it or don't have the resources to do it? You see, the way that we can extend grace is to see those who are single due to those circumstances and, and not just walk away from it, but engage yourself. Offer your, oper- offer your abilities and your skills to do that. And as I'm saying this especially to the men, but I'm also adding women too, because we got some women in here who are better at doing house repairs than some of the men. I've met you. I've been embarrassed by you, okay? Uh, so, so men and women, it is stepping up and to help with practical meals, uh, practical things. It could even be taking meals to their house. It could even be something where you know you've got a children's camp coming up or a student camp coming up and they've got a number of kids and you look down there, you see what the cost is and you say, you know, that may not fit in their budget, but man, it'd be great if their kids could go to that. Maybe it's just some of us just stepping up and saying, I tell you what, this is a great camp that's coming up and I really think your kids go to it. And personally, I'd just like to scholarship them on that. 
You could either do that anonymously or you could go up to them and talk to them. There are ways that we can do that. That's extending grace and letting people know you're a part of the household of faith and you've got a need, we've got a resource, we want to help you. We can do this. Number four is this, mentor single moms, sons, and daughters. Mentor single moms, sons, and daughters. And I'm going to add this over here, single dads, sons, and daughters. Because you see, what happens is, is that if there's a a dad and there's been a divorce and he has the kids or there's been a death, premature death of his wife, he's got a daughter over here and she's getting up close to those teenage years and, you know, he's just a guy and he can't figure all this stuff out. It's some moms that can come along and, and help and be a mentor there. And it's some single moms that have got, got some kids. And, and they'd be great to be able to have, have a man to, to step up and to sort of wrap that arms around one of these young men. Got a member of our church that I met with this past week. And, um, and I knew a little bit of his story. And he had a father that died when he was young. And he began to just talk to me about individuals in this church that stepped up in his life. And uh, it was some men that just stepped in and poured into his life. They didn't have some detailed mentoring plan where they, where they met with him every week. It was just in certain uh, kind of crossroads in his life. There were these men that were there that would pour into his life. And part of the man he is today, he can look back and be thankful of what those men did for him. And so for us as a church, this is where we want to keep our eyes open for that and see can we help mentor some of these children who who are without a parent. And they've got one, but they need two. And it'd be great. And a mom would be so happy to know that someone is pouring into them. Take them out on camping. Show them how to do this or that. Or just being there for them, answering questions. Um, It's something that we can all do. And as a church, we need to do this in the household of faith. Number five is this. Invite singles to serve alongside of you in ministry. Invite singles to serve alongside of you in ministry. Now, I know we're all guilty to where if there's some ministry need that we have, our first thought is to go to the people that we know. And if we're married, the people we know are the ones that are married. But what we need to do is expand that and begin to look into those that are single that maybe we don't know them very well, can go up to them and say, let me tell you, we got this opportunity here and I'd love for you to come alongside of me and work with this. I'm telling you what, the greatest untapped resource in a church is single adults. They've got time, they've got ability, they just want to be asked. And when you ask them and they come alongside of you, you begin to build a relationship, make a friend with someone and then you plug them into ministry and you see the incredible gifts and talents that they've got. So for us to extend grace, it means that we are to expand our own vision and find those that are out there that are not getting plugged in and say, I want you to come alongside and I want you to be there with me. And let me tell you the last one. This is it. Include singles in family and holiday get-togethers. I want you to think about this. Include singles in family and holiday get-togethers. There's some that are single adults that are living right here in our city, a part of our church, whose parents are distance ways where they really can't get to them and their work does not allow them to get that time off. Invite them to come to your house. If you've got a holiday get-together, invite them to come and to be a part of, of, of some holiday gathering that you have. Or maybe it's just a family get-together. Hey, we're having pizza and a movie. We'd love for you to come. 
And it's someone that you, you've connected with. You get them connected with your family. They get to see just the rhythms of the home. Uh, they get to get connected with your kids. And it's just like one more voice that's speaking into the life of your kids. You see, it's the household of faith. And so you've got those people, they're just sitting out there and, and they would just love to be able to get, probably get connected with a family just to hang out with you and, and maybe hang out with the kids and just kind of do life with you. Extend grace. It's the household of faith. And when we think about extending grace, we know that if, as married couples, married couples, we're just like pulled to the ends of the earth with all these different things that we have to do. But yet there's some out there that are single adults that are part of our family that have got some time. And they would love to have that, that relationship. And so it's something where I say we just begin to pray. It's like a married couple. And say, God, have someone come across my path. Let me begin to look out there and, and see who's there. And then invite them to come and, and just join in with some of the family get-togethers that you have. You'll be richer because of it. And they will be richer also. So that's how as a church we can extend grace to those that are singles. But then let me put it on the other hand, and it is this. Second point is this. Choosing whether to be single is based on how best to become Christ-like. I want you to write this down. Choosing whether to be single is based on how best to become Christ-like. And I'm going to explain this. And uh, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's talking about the married and the unmarried. And I want to focus on verses 32 through 35. And listen to what Paul says. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, as Paul is writing this, if you read earlier verses, he believes the time is short. When he says the time is short, there's two ways to look at that. Number one, the second coming of Christ could be imminent. Number two is persecution is coming. And as persecution is coming, the time is short. Well, as I read that, I said, this is us today. Yeah, everything seems to be lining up that the second coming of Christ uh, you know, could be imminent. And then persecution, we see that building and coming even here in our nation. And so when you read this, what Paul is saying is that the time is short and you've got to get to the Lord's work. And so as he's writing, he said, there's some of you that are single, there's some of you that are married. I'm telling you, for you that are single, you have got a lot more time to be able to uh, give towards the Lord's work because you don't have the same worries that one that is married because the person that is married has got, got looking out after their spouse, looking out after their kids, and all of these different encumbrances they have. They says, but you over here, your time is, is, is undivided. And then he comes and he summarizes it, verse 35. In 35 he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint. That word means not to throw a noose around them. He says, I don't want to restrict the readers. 
I'm not telling you stay single. I'm not telling you to get married. What I am telling you is to choose whichever state enables you to live properly in complete, undivided devotion to the Lord. This is what I'm asking. And you look at the end of verse 35, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, just think about that. What he's saying is you choose as to whether you want to be single or whether you want to be married by how you can secure an undivided devotion to the Lord. And for some, they would say, I, need, I just feel God's leading me. I want to get a marriage partner. And in that, we can join together and as two become one and, and can have that undivided devotion to the Lord. And yet there'll be others that will say, you know, where I am, my stage of life, I want to remain single. It may be now, it may be for a short while, it may be for a long while. And uh, I'm just asking you this, don't be dictated by society. You make your own assessment as to how you can live with an undivided devotion to the Lord. So instead of just personal fulfillment, what is best for me, make becoming Christ-like as the ultimate objective of your life. What can I do to be more Christ-like? So ask yourself, in what state can I best serve the Lord? And you need to ask that. And as you ask that, you realize that the decision that you make could just be for a stage. It doesn't mean that, that you're sitting there at 24 years of age and said, I'm going to remain, I'm going to be single. It may mean, yes, I feel at this time, the next, this year, next few years, I want to stay single, and then I'll relook at it, and maybe I want to get married. I just conducted a wedding yesterday, and uh, it was interesting is that the mother of the bride was sharing some things about the daughter, and she had been dating someone throughout high school, and, and then they broke up. And when they broke up, she said, as some say, after a difficult breakup, she says, I've had it with men. I've had it with men. That's it. I'm just focusing on myself. I've had it with men. Four months later, she went to her mom and says, I just met the man I'm going to marry. Well, that stage didn't last very long, did it, uh, over there? And sure enough, they dated for four years, and that is who she married. But you know what's interesting? Do you know what attracted her to the person that she decided she was going to get married? Not because they were cute, not because they were funny or whatever, but as they were talking about a, a trip, trips that they had taken and something that they had done over a period of time, her comment was, wow, that was probably cool seeing all those places. They said, no, the coolest thing was that I had unhindered worship with God. And it was like, whoa. And her statement was, I've never had a guy of date say anything like that. And all of a sudden, her heart began to be knit with his. And, and there she could see that. See, she says, I was strong enough and committed enough to where I could live a life for Christ as a single. But all of a sudden, God brought me into this connection with this individual who had a heart that was similar to mine. And I said, this is what I want to do. This makes sense for me. But make that decision. Undivided devotion to the Lord. Make a decision for not is what, what is most fulfilling for me, but make the decision is how can I be more Christ-like. Now, I'm going to step into this area for just a second, and that is people, when you look at single adults, and it's gone from 37% to 50%, a great part of that is because people are getting married later today than they used to. In 1960, the average age of a man 
marrying was 22 years of old age and, and the woman was 20. Today, the average age is 29 for a man and 27 for a woman. That's a big jump from 22 to 29 and from 20 to 27. Now, when you think about that, uh, that would cause you to have a larger demographic of single adults. So they asked the question, and they said, well, why are people waiting later to get married? They want to get married, they feel like, but they're waiting later uh, to get married. And uh, the problem is, hey, we just made too good of a home. They just want to come back and live with us. <laughs> no, here's the problem. Everything that you read, they say, well, there's a fear of divorce. Some of them have, have been in families that were divorced, and they don't want to do that. So, so they want to be sure. They want to wait a little longer for that. You just need to hear from your pastor's heart. I definitely have no problem with someone waiting to be ready. But this fear of divorce thing, when you look at the, uh, the statistics that say maybe I think it's like 45% of, divorce, of marriages end in divorce, if you dig deeper in that, one of the largest numbers of those who are, make up that divorce category happen for those who marry before they're 18 years of age, who have dropped out of high school, or had a baby before marriage. So if you think that you want to stay and graduate from high school and you want to wait till you're past 18 and are deciding not to have a child before you get married, you got better odds of your marriage working. The statistics also show that those who are committed followers of Christ, not just box checkers saying, hey, I came to church, but committed followers of Christ, then the odds drop really low on divorce. So if you want to follow Christ and then marry someone to where you can have a oneness of Christ and a oneness with an individual, the percentage of your marriage being successful goes way up. So I just don't want the fear of divorce to keep you from it. A fear of divorce can be useful for you to say, I don't want to rush into something. I'm all over that. Just don't let it constrain you. And then the second thing, the reason that this number has grown is cohabitation. To where it seems like growing more and more of where singles want to live together before they get married. It's kind of like a test drive. We're going to see how this is going to work. Can I just be real honest with you and taking empirical data and say, if you think that cohabitation is going to help you prepare for marriage, you are just dead wrong. You are asking for failure. The statistics have shown 85% of people who live together will either break up before they get married or when they get married, they will get divorced. 85%. So if you think that living with this person that you really think that you love, but you're trying to test drive it, 85% chance you're not going to make it. So I don't think I'd do that. So I'm just encouraging you as single adults, if there's a desire to get married, I don't want you to be hamstrung by fear, but at the same time, I don't want you to buy the world's lie that if you just live together and test all this out, we're going to be fine. Cohabitation is completely opposite from marriage. Marriage is selfless. Cohabitation is selfish. Marriage is something permanent. Cohabitation is, hey, we're just going to see if this works. And that's never going to work. Okay? There is a difference in there. So, how do you maximize your singleness for the kingdom of God? So, I'm going to give you 
about five things, and I want you as single adults to write these down. I want us as married adults to write these down because believe it or not, these come together and they apply to all of us. Are you ready? Maximizing your, your singleness for the kingdom of God. Now, before I give you this, this will, for a single adult, I believe, will allow you to maximize your life for Christ as long as you're a single. And at the same time, if you have any desire to get married at any time, if you develop these things that I'm going to share with you, you will be in a better position to have a successful marriage also, okay? Number one is this, practice selfless living. Number one, practice selfless living. That means do for others what Jesus did for you. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wife even as as, uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What Jesus did was he gave himself for the church. And so when someone gets married, it says that the husband and the wife are to live selflessly. It doesn't mean that as a single adult, you're to live selfishly, and then all of a sudden, you decide to get married, you turn the switch on, and now you're living selfless. We are all to live selfless lives, to where we are looking to see how can I invest my life in others, looking for where the needs are there for others, and I want to live selflessly. If your desire is to ever be married, if you live a selfless life, I will tell you that you will be more attractive to others who want to enter into a marriage relationship with you. If you decide never to get married, you live a selfless life. You will be living a life that has an undivided devotion to the Lord, and God will use that and honor that in amazing ways, okay? Number two is this. Understand your identity in Christ. Understand your identity in Christ. All the research I've looked at for many years says that the number one reason for divorce is low self-esteem. You take whatever happens, you can then trickle it on down. It usually comes down to low self-esteem. And so I want to encourage you to understand your identity in Christ. All of us get calls pulled into the lie of the world, which means, which says that my self-worth is based on my performance plus the opinion of others. My performance plus the opinion of others. How did I do? Did I do good enough or bad enough? And what did these people say? And in today's world with social media, your identity is so wrapped up into who likes you on Facebook or when you sent out this last tweet or an Instagram and someone made a critical comment to you or whatever, it can just destroy you. And if you feel destroyed as an individual, you're never going to be able to get into a relationship with someone else and somehow the two of you try to come together and become one. Because with your low self-identity, it is going to be very difficult for you to build a trust relationship with someone else. And so I would encourage everyone that is single and those that are married to understand your identity in Christ. And see, your identity in Christ is real quick. It is this. It is your position in Christ. Just write down your position in Christ. Every person here, if you've received Christ as Savior, you understand you belong to Christ. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have been forgiven. You have been reconciled. So you need to kind of step up and feel good because of your position in Christ. You are a child of God. Second of all, your person in Christ. Your person in Christ is that the Bible says that you are set apart for God. You are a new creation. You are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. He says you are salt 
You are light. This is your person in Christ. This workmanship of God. You've got a position. You've got a person. And then your possessions in Christ. Your possessions in Christ. The Bible says that you're a joint heir with Christ. It says that, that you receive everything that Christ will receive. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you. You are being accepted by God just as you are. Isn't that amazing? When you, when you come into a relationship with God, you don't have to hold on to your phone for fear that God's going to send you an Instagram or a tweet and say, I was real disappointed. I don't think I like you anymore. He accepts you just as you are. And so when I think about that and, and my person, my position, the possessions of Christ, that is who you are. And so with your identity, let that be a, a place of strength and not a place of weakness. Understand your identity in Christ, okay? Number three is it. Grow in maturity and take on responsibility. Grow in maturity and take on responsibility. Every one of us can continue to grow in maturity. And a part of growing in maturity, not immaturity, <laughs> growing in maturity, is that we just take on more responsibility. And if there was ever a single adult that came and sat down and talked to me and said, Danny, what do you think that, that I should do in my life now? I've just graduated from college and, uh, and I'm kind of moving forward uh, in, in this life of singleness. My, question, my answer to you would be take on some responsibility. Take on additional responsibility. Take on your finances. Uh, build with your career. You know, just be a responsible person. That's going to be great for you as a single adult. And then one day when you step into a marriage relationship, if that's your desire, then you can also already have that sense of responsibility and that would be wonderful. Number four is this. Redeem the extra time for which you have been blessed. Redeem the extra time for which you've been blessed. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, if you're single, you're undivided. You don't have to worry about, about a wife and kids and other things. If you're single by choice over here, guess what? You have really got a great amount of time on your hands that you can use for God's glory. And what I'm telling you is redeem that. For some of you, you say, I may be single till I die, then use that time. Some of you say, this is just a short season of my life. I'm telling you, redeem that time for which you've been blessed. Invest it in others. Find ministries in this church and get involved. Join the choir. Help with child care. Get involved in student ministry. Uh, work with senior adults. I mean, there's all kind of ministries that you can do. It's just wide open. And you've got the additional time. You've got the talent. You've got the skills to do it. So plug in. Be a part. You're part of the household of faith. And look at your schedule and realize this is a gift of God. I have got a time, a section of my life right here to where I have time, extra time, that I can either sit on my sofa and play video games or I might be able to invest it, invest it in others. And it's the same thing when people get married. They've got to make that decision. What am I going to do with the time that I've got? But the time gets shrunk. But for singles, you've got a little bit extra time. Redeem it. And redeem it. You'll always be thankful that you did that. You'll always be thankful that you took that and you invested it in the work of the kingdom. And last of all is this, and that is allow God to refine you and shape you. Allow God to refine you and shape you. Uh, Suzanne Simmons, Jacob's wife, she made a statement. She says, being single or being married can be used by the Lord to refine you. Being single or being married 
can be used by the Lord to refine you. Some people think I gotta wait till I get married and then I'll get refined. No, God refines you right where you are in your singleness. Both marriage and singleness can be avenues of sanctification leading to Christ-likeness. And so I wanna just share this to single adults. I do not want you to think that because you're single that you're just sitting on the shelf and that one day God's going to use you and it happens when you get married. That's just not true. That is not true. Where you are right now is where God is wanting to refine you and God is wanting to shape you. And then if there is a desire to get married and, and you find that person, it puts you into a different chapter of life. But the chapter you're in right now, you allow God to refine you and God to shape you. Think about the Old Testament guys. When you think about some of the guys in the Old Testament, David. When David was just a single, he was a young guy, Samuel comes by and God directs him to say, this is the guy that's gonna be the next king. This is a guy that's got, got a heart for God. When you think of David, you think about David's greatest victory, what do you think of? David and who? Goliath. Was he married or single? He was single. One of the greatest accomplishments he ever did was when he was a single adult. He took down the giant. When he was being tapped to be a, a leader of the people there, it's when he was a single adult. Joseph. Joseph, sold by his brothers into slavery. He's into slavery. He's thrown in jail. He's uh, had all these things, all these misfortunes against him. You, you name a bad circumstance, it's happened to him. But then he had the opportunity to come before the king, interpret the dream, and the king says, you will be number two in command in Egypt. He was a single adult. He didn't sit there and say, hey, I gotta wait till I get married, and then things can really start happening. Right then and there, God was refining him, and God was shaping him, and God was using him. That is incredible. Daniel. When you go to the first part of the book of Daniel, when you see Daniel and uh, he and those other young guys that came with him from Jerusalem there in Babylon, and when the king wanted to eat the king's food, and he said, that goes against what I believe was taught in the Old Testament. I'm going to eat my food. Y'all eat the king's food. And at the end of the time, it turned out that he was healthier and did better. And then all of a sudden, the next year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he came. He also interpreted a dream. And then he promoted him to be over people there in Babylon. He was a single adult. And so we just need to understand that as a single adult, that God wants to refine you, shape you, and use you at that time. For me, I graduated from college uh, in 1975, and I was single for three years, and I spent two and a half of those years here in this church. And the two and a half years I spent in this church were pivotal in my life. I decided to get involved and to try to teach. And so I started teaching in college ministry. And then I got an opportunity to teach in singles ministry. And when I began to do that, I realized that there was a giftedness there that God says, I can use this and I can use this here. And you can either do this as a lay person and, and teach Sunday school, or maybe there's even a call to go to ministry. And that got churning while I was right here as a single adult that said, I want to get involved. But I didn't want to just get involved with just teaching singles. I said, I want to get involved in, in the, what's happening in the church. And so we had something called Together We Build. And Dr. Carter was going to do his first building program. He became pastor in December of 71, and this is in 77. He says, we're going to build the Christian Life Center, and we're also going to build what we call the Dobbins Building over there for education space. And we need to raise money for this. And he set the goal as the largest amount that would have ever been raised at that particular time in the state of Alabama in Southern Baptist life. And with that amount, they were going to build Christian Life Center, going to build education space. This was his first 
capital campaign as the pastor of this church. You really want to make that one good. I signed up. I want to be a part of this. They said, what committee do you want to be on? I want to be on the banquet committee. During those days, the banquet is you go over to Sanford University and they have a big banquet. And at the big banquet is when they announce the, um, uh, the advanced gifts and you're supposed to give the pitch and everybody's supposed to get fired up and then people are going to come and they're going to visit your home and you got to make the commitments. It's the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle of the process. And Gary was the... Um, Minister of Education, not our Gary, but Gary Ellis was Minister of Education. He was heading up this committee. And so he looked at me and he says, so what do you want to do on this committee? Man, I'm, I'm like 24 and brash or something. I said, I want to be the MC of the banquet. You believe that? I was just a kid. I'd just been over here. I hadn't been a member of the church more than about a year or so. I said, I want to do the MC of the banquet. He really? I said, yeah. I think I could do it. Unbelievably, he goes to Charles Carter, and Carter agreed. Was he crazy or what? But he agreed. And so here I am. I'm the young kid. I'm standing up, and I'm emceeing this banquet, which for Dr. Carter, this is the biggest capital campaign he's ever done. And they're putting some 24-year-old who can sync this thing with some really poor emceeing on there and gave me that opportunity. Man. Do you know what happened? You know, for me to just to have that opportunity to do that, all of a sudden, I just jumped in. I was a single adult. I got to work with that. I got to work with Starlight when we were doing the, the Berry High School uh, evangelistic crusades. I was a single adult. And I said, I want to be a part. I've got extra time on my hand. I want to invest in this, in this church. And it was wonderful for me. And then in 1977, in September, I went on my very first mission trip out of the country to Antigua. And it was the one when I ended up rooming with Dr. Carter. Hey, you room with the pastor, one day you become the pastor. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's unbelievable. But that put a heart, kind of planted a little bit of seed of a heart for international missions because of the trip that I took. I was a single adult. I had extra time. And I decided that what I wanted to do was I wanted to use that time. And during that time, what God would do is he would begin to refine me and he began to shape me. And he said, what I've got the plans for you, who would know that today, at the age of, uh, age of 62, that I'm doing some of the things that happened when I was in my early 20s as a single adult here at Shades Mountain Baptist Church where God was refining and shaping me. Does this make, does this make sense? See, this is, this is why we need to look at this. And I'm just giving a challenge to single adults to do this. When I was working at the telephone company, they put me in charge, and I know I'm going way too long, but I just got to share this, is that um, uh, we went to a class that determined what your personality style was for sales. And I was working in data, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't like what I was doing. But I had to take five cards and give them to my customers, and they were to rate me. And then they come back, and, and they do this personality analysis. And they send you the sheet, and they open it up, and I can still remember in the class, and when they open it up, they did it on responsive scale and assertive scale. My assertiveness was on a scale of one to four was a one. That's as low as you can get. The responsive was on a three. Four is the highest. I looked at that. I went to the professor, the teacher, excuse me, of the school at the phone company. I said, can I take those same five cards and give them to people at church? 
And so what I did was I came back to church and he agreed to do this. He says, I don't think it'll change because most people don't really ever change. It's just in your mind. And I gave it to people that were in my Sunday school class. I gave it to married leaders in this church, had them fill it out, sent it back in. He comes back, sits down with me and says, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Your assertiveness jumped from one to three. That's unheard of. Your uh, responsiveness went from three to four. So you went in this box over here where over here you were way over here. And he was shaking his head. You know, you know what he told, he'd said before I did that? If you ever jump that far, it shows that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I said, hey, I didn't need a test to tell me that, but I felt pretty good about it. And you know what happened? When I took a look at that, it began to plant a seed in me to say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I feel best. This is where God uses me for who I am. It was all because as a single adult, I was able to say, God, I want you to refine me and shape me and use me here in this church. And God began to open up doors for me and just help me see, this is what I want for you. The challenge for all of us, especially senior adults, is I want you to aim for living a life, making your choices that would be based around an undivided devotion to the Lord. Where can I grow most to be Christ-like? One of the opportunities you have is right now as we prepare for Lord's Supper. For you to take your mind, focus in on what we've talked about and about God doing a refining work in your own life as we distribute these elements. I'm gonna ask our ushers to come at this time and to begin to... uh, distribute the elements and and to be in their position. And let me tell you, as we get ready to move into this Lord's Supper, it's a reminder for every person here, if you have made a decision for Christ as Savior, whether you're a member of our church or not, you are, are, we welcome you to partake in the Lord's Supper. There are others of you that are here today and you say, you know, I've never made that decision for Christ that you were talking about, that amazing grace that we've been singing about. And if that is true, I would ask you that when the plate comes, you just pass it on. But I want you to think about the message and what we've been sharing and about the gift of grace that God has for us, that is available for us. The scripture says that as we partake in the Lord's Supper, that it is to be a time of reflection to where we we pray and we think and we let God share and, and look into our hearts. And so for each one of us, why don't we think about the things that we have talked about today and say, God, I want to allow you to refine me and to shape me to be the the man, the woman, the young person, the child that you so desire me to be at this particular time. After I lead in prayer, as we pass the elements, take the elements and just hold on to it. And after everyone's been served, I'll give you instructions from there. Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity to take a take moments at the end of a service and give honor and praise to you for going to the cross to die for our sins. As we partake of these elements, may we be reminded of your sacrifice of love and your amazing grace that you give to us, grace, every day. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Scripture says that uh, on the night uh, that Jesus was arrested as he was having the Passover meal with his disciples, uh, that in the midst of that meal, uh, he took the bread. When he took the bread, it says he broke it. And he says, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you.
meal continued and as they came close to the end of the meal, there was a time when he took the cup. And when he took that cup, he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for you. And it represents a new covenant between God and man. 